Hey everybody, uh, Tyler Smith here uh, with another mini-sode, mini-sode number 18, in which we will talk about Josh's sixth favorite film of all time, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, I have some announcements first. Uh, there are a couple new blog, uh, a couple new articles by Reed Lackey. The first is about the zombie romantic drama Warm Bodies. Uh, and then the second one is about uh, Man of Steel. It was really just a matter of time before somebody on this site either recorded or wrote about Man of Steel. And uh, and so Reed has done that. It's a very interesting and I think a very touching article. So you can find that at morethanonelesson.com. I also wanted to say thank you to Robert Hornack for filling in for Josh for last week's episode uh, about Looper. Uh, if you have not heard that, go back and listen to it. It was a good episode, lots of fun. And I think... Uh, I don't know. I think we, we explored some interesting things that I wasn't anticipating uh, as we started the discussion. So uh, so you can go and find that. And I also wanted to remind everybody, I haven't spoken about this in a while, but remind everybody that uh, we do have a monthly newsletter that I send out that just recaps uh, various things that have happened in the previous month on the website that uh, that maybe you are aware about uh, aware of, maybe you weren't. So, um, so you can go to morethanonelesson.com, click on newsletter, and you can subscribe to it that way. Uh, I think that is it as far as announcements. So we will jump right in. We don't want to, uh, we don't want to just waste time like we always do with these minisodes. Uh, so I will welcome in my co-host back from out of town, Josh Long. Josh, hello everyone. How you doing? Well, I'm back. I'm doing yeah. okay. Are you happy to be back? I'm happy to be back. Yeah, that's all right. That's, yeah, no, I'm not so happy about. It. <laughs> No, I'm I'm here and are you are you somebody that's, that's uh, when you when you are off when you're on vacation you are not happy to come back ever? Uh, oftentimes, man, oh man, it depends. Like I feel like if it's something if there's something specific that I'm looking forward to when I'm getting back, mm-hmm. then that's different. But that's not often the case. It's normally the thing that you're looking forward to is the vacation. Then you come back and you're like, all right, well, bide my time till the next one. I do often think about that about uh, landmarks. And that, uh, all right, for example, right now, uh, so people are listening to this uh, on a Saturday night or a Sunday, or rather that's when this has been posted, instead of the usual Tuesday, because I'm not going to be able to post this at its usual time because I'll be out of town. So uh, it's like, all right, I've got a Minnesota trip, and then after that I've got Comic-Con, then after that I've got my long Switzerland trip, and then after that I was going to go to Chicago, but I don't know if that's going to happen anymore, and so... Then it's just, the, the way I see it is just open water. You know, you hit these little islands on your way out, and then suddenly it's just like, oh, I'm in the middle of the Pacific Ocean now, and yeah. I've got nothing to look forward to. Yeah. It's like I got, actually, uh, our my anniversary is in July, so that's coming up. That's good. Are you going to do anything about it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For it, I meant. Not about it. <laughs> no. I guess the only thing you can do about an anniversary is make sure it doesn't happen and get divor- get a quickie divorce. <laughs> But, uh, I'll take care of it. Um, no, yeah. So there's that. Then August is just dead. August is like a, you know, dead calm, open water. I can I nothing. can uh, send you emails of uh, f- photos from Switzerland, so you can look forward to that. Then it's like you're on the trip with me. <laughs> yeah, it's just like that. I'll enjoy. I'll just be able to sit there and be like, oh, glad someone's having fun, and I'll drink. Oh, all right. I, I'll probably be drinking in this scenario. You're drinking in most scenarios. Well, I'm joking, of course. He wouldn't be my kidding. co-host if he was drunk all the time. <laughs> so, uh, okay. 
yes, we're happy. We're happy you're back. Yeah. You know what? I'm happy you're back. I don't want to speak for the listener. No. I don't want to be presumptuous. No, you wouldn't want to do that. Sorry, listeners. More of this. Get used to it. Yeah. I, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go with a combative attitude. You know why not? That's usually for the best when it comes to podcast listeners. They like that sort of thing. That's. I mean, that's how they're listening. So why? Why shouldn't we speak like that? It's what makes the forums come alive. Yeah, it is actually. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> all right. So two weeks ago we spoke about what did we talk about? Bicycle thieves. Yes. Yes. My sixth favorite movie of all time. Now we are moving on to your sixth favorite film of all time. How appropriate that your sixth favorite film is The Seventh Seal. Oh, I should have changed that so that it was The Seventh. I know. But should have thought about that. But then in two weeks, my fifth favorite film will be Twelve Angry Men. Spoilers, everybody. Mm. Um, but I'm not going to put that as my twelfth favorite. You should have changed your third favorite movie to The Third Man. Yeah. Man, this... Hmm. First, was there first kid? First kid done <laughs> with Brian Bonsell. Now we're talking. <laughs> it has to be. It's got the. It's got the name and the title. There's rules. We we, we live in a society with rules. That's the rule. Sorry, yeah. man. Somebody <laughs> first night. First night. That's that's not a good movie. Well, neither better are... than first kid. Uh, you don't know that. That's true. I haven't They're, seen either. This? They're equally funny. <laughs> Make of that what you will. Mm. So, um, now I saw, I remember uh, in college. Sean Connery is a laugh riot in First Night. Man, oh man, he seems like a humorless man. Anyway, uh, yeah, in college I took a class on uh, Arthurian myth, and I was very happy to to take that. Um, And uh, we watched, as we read through the once, uh, was it T.H. White's uh, The Once Once and Future King? King. As we read through that, we also uh, watched the occasional uh, the occasional film. One of them was Excalibur, and then one of them was uh, First Night. And uh, we did not watch them as a way of saying, like, hey, look at uh, this interesting contribution to our theory and myth. It was more like, yeah, this is pretty bad, right? Nobody's ever. <laughs> my, my teacher's like, yeah, nobody's ever really done it right. So let's watch an example of them doing it wrong. <laughs> so it was, it was very interesting. Moving on, The Seventh Seal. Your sixth favorite film of all time. Josh, take us away. Well, uh, Seventh Seal is a fun romp through a desolate Swedish uh, post-Crusades uh, landscape. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just lovely. All that lush <laughs> landscape. The beautiful colors and the happy people. Yeah. Um, anyone who's seen... Smiles, everyone. It's smiles like all around. <laughs> oh, what if... What if what if Ingmar Bergman had directed an episode of Fantasy Island? Oh, you, people can have death fantasies, right? I, I suppose they can. Um, but yeah, for those anyone who's seen it knows that I'm being sarcastic. Uh, probably anyone who knows who Ingmar Bergman is and that he directed this film knows that I'm being sarcastic. Um, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you can't enjoy this movie. Doesn't right. mean it's not fun just because it's not. Well, it might not be fun. It can be. You can enjoy it. It can be invigorating. It is not traditionally fun, yeah. but if you enjoy, you know, a movie stimulating thought and yeah. and feelings, even if they're feelings of you know sadness or despair or whatever, um, then it can it can be fun in that sense. It's yeah. a conversation that I have with uh, that I've had with a number of people. Is can you can a movie that is very depressing be fun? It's like yes, it can, but not in the way that you yeah. automatically assume. Not in the way that like Gidget is fun. 
Or has fun. It's pronounced Gideot. <laughs> <laughs> that is a dumb, dumb joke. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, but anyway, yes. So uh, I'm I'm a big fan of, of Ingmar Bergman films for anyone who has... Uh, anyone who listened to the episodes where we talked about uh, kind of key films for us in, in uh, developing the way that we think about the movies... Uh, we'll remember that Persona was one of those films for me. Persona is another Bergman film. And so he's a, he's a filmmaker I've always loved. And this is actually the first of his films I ever saw. So I think that's one of the reasons that it's on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's one of the more accessible ones, although I wouldn't say the most accessible. I feel like I always think of Wild Strawberries as being the most accessible, even though there is a very strange dream sequence um, in Wild Strawberries. I'm trying to think. I've only seen, I think, three of his films, mm. and I saw half of Wild Strawberries. Mm. But I've seen Persona, Seventh Seal, and Virgin Spring. Virgin Spring is fairly accessible. That, that is true. As accessible as he can get. Yeah. it's It, it actually was kind of odd watching that one to me, because I, I kept feeling like something very strange was going to happen, because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's something you'll find often in his films, uh, something strange and supernatural. And it it does, to a point... But um, it maintains this kind of mythic quality to it the whole time, mm-hmm. which um, I don't know if it's if I'm bringing something into that because I'm familiar with the filmmaker or if it's just the way that he kind of layers this almost kind of dread underneath everything. We're talking about Virgin Spring. Virgin Spring, yeah. Yeah, I saw it for the first time recently, and mm-hmm. I will say that... Uh, it does have a mythological, almost a folktale quality to yeah. it. I think uh, it's based on a folktale. Yeah, and yeah. it feels like it. it just yeah. the way that there are sudden shifts in circumstances. Yeah, uh, that would normally it feels like oh that was that's almost jarring. Like why is yeah that seems like a flaw? But then you know, but based on what I've seen of him, it's probably a conscious choice. And I think it's because you know when you're telling the story of you know Hansel and Gretel or or something like that to to somebody um you're not going to give every nuanced detail um and that's why one of the reasons why virgin spring is very short and yeah. characters tend to now we're talking about virgin spring but you know <laughs> characters tend to play types more than specific mm-hmm. people and and it, yeah. it and i saw that i saw this maybe three months ago mm. and uh, and i got a very f- strong feeling of folktale mythology uh, all that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's almost, uh, yeah, I don't want to go into it too much, but uh, it is almost as, as if the the filmmaker is intentionally having them kind of play types mm-hmm. up to a point, I think. Up to a so point. You want to see those, those like happy idyllic types and then some of the inciting events. I won't say too much about what happens for those who want to see it, but kind of force those characters that are, almost unrealistic idyllic characters have to change Mm -hmm. um, their view of the world and things like that, which is a very kind of Bergman (laughs) move. Um, But anyway, uh, in speaking of the seventh seal, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a little enigmatic in that the, the name and the opening titles invoke parts of revelation Mm -hmm. referring to the end times. Um, and sequences of the movie all do the same, kind of refer to that 
yet it takes place in a time that's past, mm-hmm. which is, uh, like I said, post-Crusades Sweden. Um, so there's inter- it's interesting that there is this element of the end of the world, even though we, we're seeing something that isn't the end of the world. Uh, there's a lot going on in this movie. Like, that's one of the themes um, that's happening there, partially, apparently, um, because when the film was made in the late 50s, 1957 is when it was released, um, that was shortly, semi-shortly after the uh, the advent of the nuclear bomb. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of, I don't know if that technically counts as the Cold War. I don't know if the Cold War starts right after World War II. I'm not enough of a historian to know, but I, I mean, it probably is. Cause shortly thereafter, I mean, at the very least... Cause, I mean, at the end of the forties, early fi- or early fifties, but I don't know if it's right after because I think because I think at the time we were still thinking of uh, you know Uncle Joe <laughs> in reference to Joseph Stalin. That's how he was played off. He was one of our allies, but that's creepy. It wasn't long after that that immediately we're like, okay, we got to start snapping up our, yeah. uh, our various German scientists because uh, <laughs> we don't trust these guys over here. Yeah. So so it was made in a world where a lot of people in the world were afraid of nuclear winter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, uh, which it seems strange that we can laugh about that now, but, uh, yeah, but we do cause it's just as much a possibility now we don't need to go into that. I'm getting off topic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, because that was something that was a, a major fear at the time, that was a little bit of why the film talks about the end of the world, why it deals very openly with death. Um, so that's one aspect of it. Then there, it, it it deals with death um in relation to that to that topic but then as its own topic as well i think that's uh i don't know what you when something's not the subtext do you just call it the text is that i guess so <laughs> the subject i guess that's kind of that kind of is uh the case with this film i think the subject is death more than anything else yeah. um especially because there is a character that personifies death. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I enjoy that, uh, kind of the, the philosophical approach to death that the film takes. Um, Bergman has said that one of the reasons he made the film was to cope with his own fears of death. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was from a very strict Lutheran upbringing, and apparently, and you'll see that influences almost all of his work. Um, these questions of uh, of strict right and wrong, uh, questions about the existence of God, um, questions about about death and what that means, and how that should affect our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. He he seems to come into this film with. Almost an attitude as if to say, it's obvious that we should all be terrified of death. Why should we not all constantly be terrified of death? Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't a completely irrational way to approach things. Right. It's just, it's always there. So, why? The, it is something that I occasionally think is, you're, you're going to die, and you, you, that might not bother you, but your relatives could also die at relatives, loved ones, friends, whatever. They could also die at almost any moment. Mm -hmm. So why are we so concerned about really petty things? Mm -hmm. 
Like, this is always there, and we know it. We all know it. Yeah. It's not like it's being sprung on us as yeah. a surprise. And he almost has, some in some of his films, that attitude of the the one sane person in the crowd of crazy people who's saying, like, you realize that death is all around us. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we cope with that? And so that's one of the reasons. He, he comes into that movie a little bit with that. Uh, with that attitude and kind of works through that, I think um, a lot of it through the character uh, of Antonius Block, played yeah. by Max von Sydow of Strange Brew fame. Indeed, yes, yes. <laughs> you may also recall him in uh, Flash Gordon mm-hmm. as Ming the Merciless. Um, yeah, and it's uh, yeah the the basic story, among other things, is as Josh said, this uh, knight comes back from the Crusades right in the middle of the plague. He is quite cynical about the the Crusades, feeling that they serve no real purpose, which I would venture to say I agree with. Mm. Um, and so the idea that he... So he's already that, and then he comes home to find, you know, thousands, if not millions of people dying from plague. And at that moment, just thinking, are you kidding me? Like, this <laughs> is... And I'm obviously... I'm, uh, no, that's an actual line from him. Um, just... And just really th- kind of thrown into philosophical disarray and just like, I, what is any of this for? He does seem to be striving for meaning. And as Josh said, the death is personified by uh, this man, this white faced man in a, in a clar- in a cloak and a hood and all that kind of thing. And he meets and he sees the night on the beach. Mm-hmm. And this basically, I feel like symbolizes that, oh, the knight is going to die, but he refuses. Instead, he challenges death to a chess game. Right. And which does not, which they do not finish in one sitting. It's an ongoing thing. No, it kind of continues throughout. And the implication being, and this is something I think we can all, we can all um, identify with. One of my worst fears is actually not dying. It's dying in a way that humanity will find funny. I know that sounds very strange, but I mean, we hear about, you know, the Darwin Awards and we hear about all that kind of thing. And just if someone were to drop something off a building, something silly, and it were to fall and land on my head and I die as a result, people would be like, that's tragic, but it's kind of funny. (laughs) And then in that moment, like that to me, and it's like, well, what difference does it make to me? I'm, I'm dead. Mm. But it's that idea. It's just like, but the way I died has then rendered my death not necessarily meaningless, but kind of meaningless. And specifically, uh, almost, uh, it takes away any kind of weight that my death might have. And Mm -hmm. we all want to believe that our debt, that our lives mean something, but that our deaths are significant and that we will have, and that we as people have meaning. And Mm -hmm. that seems to be something that the night, it's like, I am not, it's like, I did not go to the crusades, come back in the middle of a plague only to die immediately. Mm. Having not, uh, come to any kind of realization. So that's why he challenges, that is sort of why he challenges death. It's like, I'm not leaving until something makes sense to me. Right. There's this There's this sense that he wants to, I think it's important that it's a chess game because I think there's this sense that he wants to come to uh, some kind of logical conclusion with death. Mm-hmm. He, he He wants to see if he almost wants to defeat death in a way mm-hmm. and, and in some kind of logical way. And that's why he has he has several arguments, kind of philosophical arguments, if if not just discussions, I guess, with death. And I think the the you know 
the chess game also kind of comes to symbolize this logical back and forth between them um, because he wants he wants answers from death as much as he wants I guess uh, to be pardoned maybe and that's that's I, I keep bringing up uh, like notes that the film strikes with me and uh, one of them is I, I think I probably watch more horror movies than you do but I safe to say yeah but the any good horror movie will make you think what would I do if I were in their situation mm-hmm. and there's part of me that thinks like okay I'm not the smartest person in the world but I can be fairly logical at times and it's just and it's almost like if I found myself in a situation where I'm stuck and there's some kind of monster or, or a killer coming after me I, I, I picture uh, one of those Simpsons conversations between Homer and his brain where it goes back and <laughs> forth and it's and it and my mouth says all right brain you've served me when it comes to podcasting and things that are really not that important and you claim to be very very smart so now you're gonna think your way out of this <laughs> and then the brain's like there is no way out of this it doesn't matter how smart you are there is no way out of this and just and the despair that comes with there is no logical way out of it Mm -hmm. and so that is something that i had thought of because yeah they're not playing a game of chance they are playing a game of logic reason and strategy yeah and and even though it seems like well you're playing against death he's probably the best player it's like (laughs) yes but if i'm good enough Mm -hmm. i can do this Mm -hmm. even though it's a it's a losing proposition from the beginning yeah so that um yeah that's i mean that kind of sums up the basic story mm-hmm. and all of those themes are are sort of worked out throughout the film they talk about a lot of different uh kind of aspects of life in general they mm-hmm. talk about life and death obviously they talk about art they talk about sex um so i don't know there's this sort of round exploration of what a life means and uh because of that what death means and um comes to a conclusion that's not <laughs> necessarily biblical i think um the, the what con- conclusion do you think it comes to it's it's hard to say i think it comes to sort of surprisingly uh maybe happy conclusion in that i th- i think it's 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 bergman's own way it's him saying this is how i deal with it like how i deal with all this thing all of these things is just to i think a lot of it is just kind of enjoy what's there enjoy the the dance as it were mm-hmm. um and <laughs> which is funny because that's the same message that you might get from a lot of kind of popcorny hollywood movies yeah um but i do think that's kind of if you were to sum up the conclusion that he comes to on how we should look at death. I, I think that's true. And also I think because the night winds up distracting death from taking this family. Right. And so, and in that moment he seems satisfied at, to die. Mm-hmm. Um, because in that moment he recognizes that he has done one. I, I don't remember exactly the phrasing, like one selfless act or something like that. Yeah. Or one meaningful act. I don't exactly remember, but something it's like in that moment, it's like, all right, I have given, I'm willing to die because I have given something mm-hmm. to someone else. Yeah. And so in like, that is, it, it's in a way it's like, you know, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Like the idea of dying 
in the place of somebody else right. gives meaning to his own death. Right. And so he's w- much more willing to accept it. Yeah. And in a larger sense, that just means that he he feels like he has to find some sort of meaning in his life, and that's where he finds that meaning. And <laughs> that in itself is almost more depressing. Being like, well, you have to find... You have to do something that you find meaningful during your lifetime. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that's... Okay, go ahead. I just think that that's hard to say because you can always... First of all, uh, there's a lot of people that I'm sure die before feeling like they've done something meaningful. And at the same time, you can do something that might seem meaningful in everyone else's eyes and you can always convince yourself that it's not. Oh, yeah. So the the idea that coming to a conclusion where you feel like you've you've lived a meaningful life is something that can comfort you in the face of death. That That isn't that comforting to me. It seems like Bergman himself would be someone who would constantly doubt that. Oh, yeah. Because it's that idea of who... There are probably a number of politicians and world leaders that think, I really I really made a difference in this life. My, my life and by extension, my death, they have meaning and none of us remember who they are. Yeah. Um, because it, to a lot of us, I think that is how meaning is defined. And the idea of your life having meant something is that people tend to remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that is the, if that's the standard, then most of us have meaningless, meaningless lives, you know, and uh, to bring things, you know, around to God, it's like, well, it means something to him, even if nobody else, you know, I, I, I often go back to Jeremiah. To me, Jeremiah is one, maybe the most tragic character in the Bible mm-hmm. from a societal standpoint mm-hmm. because he, God called him to speak out truths that no, literally no one listened to. Mm-hmm. If they listened to it at all, it was so that they would disagree and then persecute him. <laughs> but no one ever agreed. No one mm-hmm. ever said, you know, this Jeremiah guy has something. He, he's got a point to make. No one ever says that. And yet he is called to just continue saying this. I'm sure if, which is why he's known as the melancholy, he's known as the weeping prophet, is because he's called to do this thing that no one recognizes. Mm. And, but he keeps doing it because he gets that, he gets his meaning from God and doing what God wanted him to do, as opposed to other people accepting what he has to say. Mm. But, of course, he still has a hard time yeah. saying this stuff to people knowing that they're not listening, which mm. is something I find fascinating and just a, a nice uh, – I like that that is included and it's the character's not made out to be just noble and selfless all the time. He deals with the same stuff that, that we all do. But that was mm-hmm. a tangent. I apologize. Mm-hmm. So um, so real quick, and I'll, we'll try to sum this up in a, in a few minutes. Um, you know, the film also – death is, its, is what it – deals with primarily in the way that that throws things into sharp relief, but it also deals very, you know, quite a bit with faith and with God and, you know, the cynicism of looking at the world around you and saying, okay, this either there is no God or God is quite malevolent and Mm -hmm. really he's not concerned with us except maybe to kill us or something like that. Um, I don't necessarily think that is the, uh, the point of the film, but it certainly does seem to address that point of view. Yeah. So what do you, what do you make of that as someone who loves this film? I mean, I think, I, I think one thing that I can get out of it as a Christian that really anyone can get out of it is that these are important questions to ask. Um, 
maybe some some Christians ought to see films like this even more so than non-Christians because um, Christians we we can sometimes take it for granted that you know well well God loves us and wants what's best for us even though there are bad things around sin is our fault ultimately like it's easy to just kind of like pass all that off but for a lot of people who don't have that as a core belief for them these are very important questions and sorry they're important questions for everybody um but they're maybe more salient for people who don't take these other things for granted i think we can sometimes gloss over those questions as christians because we say well it's all you know ultimately it's all okay yeah um so it's it can be like i said easy to gloss over those but i think we shouldn't and i think um this is a very kind of moving exploration into those questions i like i really like i was gonna say i like any film that asks big questions it's probably not true um because there are a lot of films i'm sure that are asking big questions that don't ask them very well right Um, or here's the thing i like a film that that asks big questions and recognizes that the questions are so big that there are no easy answers to them yes there are plenty of movies that that ask large questions and then provide what they think are really profound answers, but right. in fact, they're just basically Hallmark card yeah. answers. Yeah. Um, and so, and this is one that definitely I think explores. I think every, I think every Christian should watch it personally, just mm-hmm. because it acknowledges, it, in a very sobering manner, it acknowledges like, yeah, there are major things that we struggle with, and as as people, no matter what our belief system, and it's okay to struggle with them because it's better to acknowledge them than to just go on and act like everything is fine and everything cosmically because of, you know, because of God's goodness and Christ's sacrifice cosmically, everything is fine, but that doesn't make all these other things go away. Right. And while even Bergman would be one to say and does kind of say in the film that there are, there's beauty to enjoy in the world and, uh, there's, beauty and loving others and helping others Mm -hmm. um he would certainly be one to say everything is not okay yeah and um i think that's an important thing to remember sometimes and he does seem to because it'd be very it'd be easy to say that his films are fatalistic and they are in the sense of there's an inevitability to death and the general badness of life Mm -hmm. but i think fatalism says there's this and there's nothing we can do about it. And it's like, well, there's nothing we can do about it in the sense that we can't stop death. But in the face of death where there are things we can do. And mm-hmm. that's that's something that I feel like uh, you find in Virgin Spring quite a bit as well. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, it's it, people may recall our episode about uh, The Dark Knight in which, you know, the Joker, it's almost like, well, there's death, so who cares about anything? Mm-hmm. Why should I do anything? And it's like, well... To a certain extent, he has a point, but at the same time, you still have a choice to make, and that can be a frightening prospect or a very encouraging one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, that Bergman... I think that's why I consider him to be a very humanistic director and mm-hmm. not one that is just pure cynicism. Yeah, definitely. But... Um, all right, so those... And, and I think we've done a an okay job of not spoiling the film people yeah. might not have seen it if you've seen any bergman it, this is probably the one you've seen because this is the one that has the most uh, iconic uh, imagery and that mm-hmm. sort of thing to the point of uh 
as I was doing some research about it today uh, in the film Last Action Hero. Did you ever see Last Action Hero? No. There's some interesting ideas in Last Action Hero, uh, like an, uh, like artistically, um, mm-hmm. about film and, and cultural, uh, cultural ref- not references, but linchpins and that sort of thing, mm. uh, being very real in our in our world. Um, but yeah, basically this kid ha- gets like this magic ticket that allows him to go inside of movies and then bring movies into his world as well. And, uh, that it falls into the wrong hands, you know? And, uh, so it's like an action adventure version of the purple rose of Cairo. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and, and so these, uh, this villain gets, gets, uh, a hold of the, the, this amazing ticket. And his plan is he's just going to take all these villains from movies, <laughs> bring them into our world where we are not at all prepared to deal with them and, uh, and basically rule over all of us. Hmm. And there is a moment when, uh, there's an art house theater showing the seventh seal <laughs> and death played in this case by Ian McKellen, death from seventh <laughs> really? seal comes out into our world and is just quietly walking along and just touching people and they die. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah, it's there's the movie's mostly not very good, but there are some neat things mm-hmm. in it. But uh man, I did not want to end this up this mini soda with a discussion of Last Action Hero. <laughs> but that is to say and if you watch Bill and Ted's bogus journey they play various games with death. Mm-hmm. Um including I think Twister and <laughs> and you know and so it's so this film very much is it, it is in people's minds. It's in the uh, I cannot think of the the collective unconscious. I guess mm-hmm. is is the zeitgeist. The zeitgeist, maybe? yeah. And so um, so if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend watching it. It does, as Josh says, it it, it asks it asks major questions, and it acknowledges that such questions exist and that that's okay. It's okay to ask them. It's okay to think about them. It's okay to even be saddened by them, mm-hmm. but that you still have a choice at the end of the day. Yeah. So. And for, there may be people who have not seen any Bergman. Um, for those who don't, aren't at all familiar with him, he, he's a filmmaker who he's very talented in terms of what he, um, in terms of putting images together, uh, just like you said, the imagery of his films is very iconic. Um, he's, he's, he writes most of the stories himself as well too and he's great with this economy of story where where everything that happens uh, even though the films are slow often it never feels like there's any ever a waste of time everything happens for a reason it's very deliberate and it fits together all very well um and he's a filmmaker who worked very well with actors coming from theater so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of he's i think one of he's my favorite filmmaker i think and certainly one of the most talented Mm -hmm. that uh you can find your favorite filmmaker and yet there are five movies that you like more than this, your favorite film by your favorite director. I know. Well, there's no TIE Fighters in this one, so that's... Fair enough. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so uh, well, that's where we'll end. And uh, so next week we will be discussing uh, This is the End, directed by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, a film that uh, was recommended uh, to me because it deals very directly with uh, the end times and uh, the biblical apocalypse and that sort of thing. And so uh, Josh and I and a friend of the show, Jason Eakin, went and saw it. And sure enough, there's plenty to talk about. So uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. It's not just come back. All right. You don't have to. You don't have to just stay on the website. Come back. We'll be here. Yeah. So uh, so be on the lookout for that. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. Well, you're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.